to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast stop it disenfranchised by the modern comics industry producer paul spataro dr bill robinson and scott h gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned randomly selected comic book back issues journey with them now back back to the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro and this time out I am here with the star-studded lineup of Scott H. Gardner. Hello! In this time out I'm thinking the H is for Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> and we I was trying here. to think of an X-Men character with an H and I can't Havoc. think of one. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that works. And you do tend to wreak havoc on people. Eh, whatever. <laughs> uh we're here with Dave Pascarella. <laughs> or I just tend to reek. <laughs> Great to be here again. And today we're gonna do another one of our uh animation commentaries. Dave. David Animation Pascarella. There you go. There you That's go. what the A stands for. David is quite animated. Especially, <laughs> especially, and this is kind of a deep dive inside a joke, but especially when he's sitting near Dave Weeder. That's right. Right. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that one out of the bag. We, we were all having a barbecue or we were having a cookout. Uh, and and <laughs> Dave, Dave decided to scare... This Dave decided to scare Dave Weeder, and he just did a thing like as if he was lunging towards him. And okay. and uh, I think Dave, I think Dave Weeder had to go inside and clean himself off after that. <laughs> Those cat-like reflexes. But you know. to be to be fair, it was all in good fun, and we all got a good laugh out of it afterwards. So there was there was no uh, no real threat involved. Uh, but just back to the point at hand. Today we're doing a commentary and. I thought it would be interesting, and I don't even know. The guys are going along with me, but I don't know if they're going along just because they they have uh, Helsinki Syndrome or if they really agreed with me. But I thought it would be kind of fun to do Pride of the X-Men, which was the uh, the non, not picked up pilot for an X-Men cartoon in, I think it was 1989. Uh, so uh, we'll start off with that. And... You know, this is this is similar in a lot of ways to uh, like the MCU. You know, when, when we in, in between Superman the movie and when superhero movies started to get like 
you know, a little bit more uh, reliable. There were a ton of things that came out, uh, you know, along the lines of, you know, Captain America starring Reb Brown or, you know, the Doctor Strange TV movie or the Nick Fury TV movie and things, things of that nature that were just, you know, didn't really have a lot of uh, quality to them. Let's leave it at that. And I'm likening that to the animation stuff. And there's a lot of animation things that we can look at and we like and we enjoy and we love it. But if you look back, you know, the animation didn't take itself very seriously. Then this came out and I was at least of the impression that this took it reasonably serious. And I was very disappointed that the show didn't get picked up, uh, you know, for as a series. Uh, I don't remember how I first saw it. I think one of my friends purchased the VHS tape and that's how I saw it. Because I don't remember it being aired on TV that I was able to see. How about you guys? The X-Men was completely out of my wheelhouse back then. I, I probably never would. I, I didn't see it and I didn't look for it or even know it existed, to be honest. I uh, I saw it on video, but I couldn't tell you when or even how I acquired a copy of it or anything. It was probably something where I I picked it up at like a yard sale or flea market for like 50 cents or something like that. I really don't remember. I know I had it. I, I know it was in a big old box of VHS tapes that I, I sold off not long ago. So I know I watched it at least one time. Um, it didn't make a real lasting impression impression on me, and uh, until rewatching it for this and doing just a little bit of homework on the whole thing, I did not realize that this wasn't the the um, what do you call it the pilot for the uh, the nineties anime of you know, the Fox I think it was Fox X Men show. I thought it was the pilot because the first thing I did when you said you wanted to do this and watch this was I went to Disney Plus and was looking for it and couldn't find it anywhere. I'm like, well, why, if this is the pilot, why isn't it on Disney Plus? And then, like I said, I did the homework and realized, oh, wait a minute, this has no connection to the later series. So I thought that was kind of odd. Actually, I, I think what it was, now that I think about it, I remember when my kids were really, like my, my oldest boy was really little, you're trying to get him into superhero stuff. And I remember we were watching the the 90s X-Men. So that's probably where I first saw this was trying to, like, gather all the episodes of, of that. And so I, I think I, I got it on VHS or something for that reason. But again, not realizing it was disconnected from that series. So you would have seen it sometime in the late 90s early 2000s in all likelihood so you you uh, yeah. wouldn't have had the disappointment yeah. of oh they didn't pick this up anyway because you sort of you know much after the fact i definitely yeah, I, I didn't it. realize they hadn't picked it up because like i said i really did think that it was some sort of like um you know disconnected pilot or something i don't know i i don't i don't re remember now what my impressions of it were other than you know i, I had seen it at some point yeah, I'm, I'm taking it as, as this, for you, this was the cage, and then they went and reworked it and came back and, and actually decided, hey, let's, you know, let's let's replace Jeffrey Hunter and let's change Mr. Spock's personality a little and, you know, all of that stuff uh, that, that, you know, that you thought it was part of the same series. But it was definitely its own thing. Uh, 
I, I remember being very impressed at the time about the animation and the character models. And I don't think that comes through on the rewatches because the rewatches you're doing now are taken from the VHS tape and, you know, they've probably been stepped on numerous times. And I, I, don't, I don't think it has the crispness that the original production or the original presentation had. Right. So I, I found that there was a quote unquote adaptation, you know, comic book adaptation but if you take a look at that, I, I sent the file to you guys on that. If you look at it, what it really is, is it's a comic book style photo novel is really what it is. It's just frames from the show. And that's nice and crisp. So you can see that the animation style was actually pretty darn good for its time. Um, I, I think it actually looks that that was my biggest takeaway from watching this was how nice and relatively fluid the uh, the animation is. I mean, it's. It's not, you know, 40s Warner Brothers, but, you know, it still looks pretty good. You know, it's for its time, you know, in the, what would that be, late 80s, you know, the for a TV, uh, you know, TV and like Saturday morning cartoon style animation, it was actually pretty good for its time. I agree. I think the, uh, the animation is very good for its time. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that was one of my biggest disappointments in them, in them not picking it up is that I did like the animation that we got, uh, but I guess at this point we can go to the videotape, so to speak. Uh, and sure. if anybody's interested in watching this along with us, it is available on YouTube for free to watch. Uh, the only thing is, if you watch it on YouTube, you will get. Uh, a break in it for commercials that probably will not uh, line up with our commentary. So you may have to pause the commentary if you go to a commercial to kind of keep up with us. Uh, but we are watching a, a digital file of this and the digital file opens up with a bright yellow screen, which is going to be uh, one of the studio credits or whatever it might be. But all three of us are down to 0, 0.0, correct guys? Yes, yep. sir. And I'm going to say one, two, three, play. When I say play, click the play button on your uh, viewer, okay? Yep. One, two, three, play. Now, the ones that I saw that are on YouTube uh, that were the actual videotape included uh, a commercial with a live-action Spider-Man for, I think it was for registering to vote. Something or like something that. like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, and that's not part of this file. This song, by the way, that starts this is absolutely horrible. Okay, I'm glad, like... I'm glad you said that because I thought for a second <laughs> you were going to say you like it, but it's X Men, X Men. No, it's, it's awful. <laughs> it's absolutely awful. The, the the animated sequence, you know, the opening title sequence is actually really cool, but the the um the song is just well, actually, the music throughout this entire thing is really bad and. I didn't really notice it too much other than, of course, the title uh, music is really bad. But then there's a moment late in it when they're on the asteroid, something dramatic's about to happen. And the music for the scene totally undercuts the tension of the scene. It's It should be, you know, very dramatic, like doom and gloom music. And instead it's like, it's all like tinkly. And I'm like, mm. what? It just didn't match at all, but. Okay, so we have now we have two voice actors in the scene we're watching that right now that are of note. So uh, we have Magneto, who's voiced by Earl Bone, who is the uh, psychiatrist from the Terminator movies. Doctor Silverman, yeah. yes. And then we have uh, 
which called Colonel Chaffee, and he and the Blob are both uh, by Alan Oppenheimer, who we would know as Dr. Rudy Wells from The Six Million Dollar Man. And his oh, okay. his voice characterization is terrible in this. He's a, he's a bloody mutant. He's a mutant. He's <laughs> just terrible. But I do like Alan Oppenheimer despite that. Or even when he does the blob. Nobody moves the blob. You know, it's just not good voice now, characterization. Earl Bowen, Dr. Silberman, was also Nagilam on that episode of uh, of Next Gen. We're in the cloud thing with, like, the giant baby face is trying to kill them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, with the... With the the origin not the enterprise the uh the galaxy uss galaxy right they run into the sister ship uh i think so it's been a while since i've seen that episode but i think you're right yeah he does he does a good job with magneto though i like his voice characterization yeah Yeah, i totally didn't realize it was him until looking at the credits later because some of the voices i recognized instantly but when it came to uh to his i i had no idea that it was uh dr silverman i thought that was pretty cool finding that out oh and worth noting which we passed up is that the narration in the episode is by stan lee which is it's pretty well done i i, I like the narration yeah so kitty is showing up at the school this is basically a loose adaptation of uh you know part of the whole uh dark phoenix saga when she comes onto the team wasn't that I thought she came in at the tail end of Burns run Didn't Tor- she come in yeah, like- but the, the burn left after the dark phoenix well shortly after the dark phoenix saga but she came in before that or because I thought yeah, I she, thought she hit- did come in before the actual okay. conclusion of that storyline so professor x is giving her a uh, an astral image and he brings her in now there was some criticism of the show based on the fact that kitty is you know clearly quite scared and and uncomfortable with the situation uh much more so than she was in the actual comic and you know the speculation is that that was going to be part of a story arc where they were going to show her growth and how she became more uh you know more more equipped to handle these situations but they never got a chance to make a second episode so you know we did see a little bit of that over the course of this episode because she does come in and save the day spoilers of a, of a really having, stupid plan, by the way. You know, having been <laughs> spoiled by Patrick Stewart's voice, I mean, this guy is good, but I just can't get used to it. Yeah, the Professor X voice is... John Stevenson, and I, I looked him up. He has a list of voice credits a mile long, but the thing that jumped out to me on this, uh, on, on, with this guy, is that he was the voice of Fern's father in the animated version of Charlotte's Web, which I must have seen a thousand times when I was a kid. So I thought mm. that was actually. It was Fern, Pamela, and Ferdin. I'm that, sorry. Was the voice of Fern? Was that Pamela and Ferdin? She also Ooh, did Lu- I, Lu- I, Lucy in the Charlie Brown cartoons. Could be. I'd, I'd have to look that up. I, I don't know. Okay. And we have the Dazzler yeah. as part of the team, which was a little bit off of what was going on, you know, during the Dark Phoenix saga. They just introduced her during that also. Uh, yeah. But she didn't join the team until much, much later. Uh, yeah, I like seeing her here. I thought she had that look much later than 1988, so that was kind of jarring to me because I'm like, whoa, I, I, I just didn't remember her having that look that early. I thought that was much later. And they, but uh, I'm going to show my ignorance a lot in this because I I was never the biggest. I mean, I've read all this material and everything, but 
like one time, I think. I, I just was never the biggest X Men fan. I I like the the later stuff, you know, the the movies, you know, the Hugh Jackman and all that. But the comic book X Men and the animated X Men just never did it for me. Just never really connected somehow. I like that they have Storm having her traditional costume at that time. They didn't really try and vary off of it very much, which I liked. Um, they have Wolverine with the, with the Australian accent, which is which they had done in Spidey <laughs> and his amazing friends also. Uh, when I looked it up, or when I saw it on, on Wikipedia, one of the, the voice uh, coach or whatever had said something to the effect that they were actually going to change the storyline uh, to indicate that he was from Australia originally and then had uh, moved to Canada at some point. Uh, but that story was apparently uh, debunked that they weren't that they yeah, were that, never planning to do that. Yeah, there's there's some uh, there was some disagreement about that whole thing. Um, I was just watching. I, I didn't get to watch the whole thing before we got started, but I, I just happened to find um, while we were all waiting to connect that there was a uh, a small interview online you know, on YouTube with Rick Hoberg, who was one of the I don't know he had something to do with a storyboarder or something like that, talking about that and the, the whole thing but what's funny is that something i was reading somewhere said that uh wolverines are not found in yes that, that there are no wolverines in australia <laughs> somebody didn't do their homework apparently somebody didn't pull out the encyclopedia britannica before m- making that decision i guess I keep waiting for Cyclops to say Wonder Twin powers activate. <laughs> oh, was, was he one of the Wonder Twins? Yeah, that is uh, yeah. Michael Bell. Yeah, Michael that's Bell. Uh, Michael Bell. Yeah, he was uh, Zan of the Wonder Twins. He was also Groppler Zorn in the yeah. very first episode of TNG. Okay, yeah. And, and, Duke, uh, and Duke from G.I. Joe. Yep. I like, I like his uh, voice on Cyclops. Uh, Superman animated series. I like his voice yeah. on Cyclops. I think that one is fitting. Uh, Juggernaut running just a little too gingerly there. He should be, you know, making the ground shake. Not He, he looked a little too light on his feet. That guy uh, doing his voice, Ron, Ronald Gans, uh, I was surprised to see. He was the voice of Armus in the episode on TNG when uh, Tashi Yar gets killed. He was the big slime monster. Right, yeah. So, so now, this whole thing, I, it's... It makes no sense. Uh, they're breaking into the mansion. They they had a you know a, a different thing to separate the team. Going you know they had the the Brotherhood of Evil Terror Mutant Terrorists or whatever they call them in this. So it's just <laughs> Charles and Kitty at the uh, mansion and and Magneto and Juggernaut come in. And the whole thing is he wants to steal this uh, device that goes to Cerebro that helps them find the mutants. First of all, Charles throws it to Kitty. Like, why would you do that? She just got here. She's going to know what to do. <laughs> and, and you see when Magneto confronts well, her, he which is happening run. now, he, 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 she ends up, like, just throwing it to him. Here, take it, you know? There we go. She just threw it, which is, is you know, it looks it's like, like a Christmas tree. Now, yeah. how that is powering a comet that's going to come and destroy things on earth that's going to make the mutants live and the regular people die is just beyond me. It, 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 it makes no sense at all. <laughs> because the plot needs it to. Yeah. 
And then here's the blow. Again, I did not like the characterization on the blob by uh, Oppenheimer, which I, I didn't like. Uh, Pyro wasn't bad. They, you know, he had his English accent, and he seemed kind of cool. That dude, uh, Pat Fra- Frawley, I guess is his name. F-R-A-L-E-Y, Frawley, yeah. Fraley. He was Krang on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the voice of Krang, the pink bubblegum-looking dude. Yes, yes. Did the blob bounce like a ball at one point? No, that's the bouncing boy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you could see how I could make that mistake. Absolutely. The voice of Colossus was the voice of Peter Parker and Spider-Man on Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which I thought was actually pretty cool. One of these guys, I failed to note which one it was, but I saw it in their credits, played Colossus on a different show. Oh, I did not see that. I thought it was, I think it might have been Spider-Man and his amazing friends, I forget, but there was, yeah, one of these other people playing, you know, one of the other characters, not Colossus in this. Uh, did play Colossus in in some other animated show. I thought that was kind of cool. A lot of these guys have done you know so much you know animated voice work and you know a lot of you know Marvel and DC type stuff and yeah most of and, them are are regular voice actors and that's what you're looking at is oh you know what other voices did they do that we'd recognize? Uh, I I was right. more interested mostly in in you know. Oppenheimer and Bowen just because those are people who we've seen, you know, we're more familiar with them from live action. Uh, Toad. Quick quick question for you. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say Toad is voiced by Frank Welker, who's probably most famous for being uh, Fred on Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Now, we just saw a scene where, you know, we're up on Satellite M. Is that what it was called? Satellite M? Yeah. Or Asteroid M. Asteroid Asteroid M. And there's a scene where Magneto's talking and the dragon, you know, Lockheed, the dragon comes up to him and and Magneto just kind of kicks him away like he's a pest. I'm thinking um, they must somebody must have brought that thing with them. Right. I mean, because they're they're on this space station that Magneto had to build, which means that everything there had to be supplied to that asteroid at some point yeah so somebody brought that thing there it's it's so why is he kicking it around because either he brought it or somebody that's working for him brought so it belongs to somebody or somebody brought it there for some it's not like it just lived there right yeah no i I don't really i don't believe it did and uh you know I think you're supposed to think that it's Toad's pet, but he's chasing it around like, you know, and it wants nothing to do with him. So I'm I'm not seeing that it's his pet either, even though, uh, you know, they might want you to believe that. It, 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 I, I think it's just there to be like, like, you know, that you look at it and you say, oh, look how cute this is. I don't think it's right. really it's, supposed to have anything where it makes sense. So Magneto's powering up, baby, to get that comet. Guy. The video, the, you know, the the thing I was watching with Hoberg, and a couple of things I was reading too, were making a huge deal out of the fact of, you know, this was the first superhero animated thing that was really serious, and there weren't any funny animals and blah blah blah. And I'm thinking, well, isn't Lockheed kind of a funny? I mean, he's not Miss whatever the hell her name was on Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends oh, that was yeah, so yeah. ridiculous. So he's not Gleek, but he's still kind of filling that role in a certain kind of way. Oh, no question. 
No question. Yeah. You're, you're right on the money with that. It's supposed to, you know, that's supposed to make you say, oh, look how cute he is. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of had the same little cringeworthy attitude towards the character of the comic books, to be honest. I, I didn't really see the, per- yeah. the point of it. You know, I, I, I don't like when you, well, you know, and yet I love crypto. So what do I know? Crypto's cool. <laughs> that's the difference. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's a kitty showing a little, uh, little backbone standing up to Wolverine. I, now, I think this this animation style, just to, to see what you guys think, I think it is based, it's not entirely true to it, but I think it's based on Burn. I'm thinking it's Burn through like a like an anime filter, which isn't which isn't a bad thing. Yeah, it's simplifying it a little bit for animation purposes. But I think I think the character models are based on, on Burn's drawings. I could be wrong. I'm, I'm basing that only on my viewing of it. I, I'm not saying it based on, you know, anything I've read. So I have no evidence to support that theory. But just from the look of it, it looks to me like, you know, that these whatever animators, uh, you know, saw, used Burns issues to kind of dr- to do it up. And, and, and at this point, well, at this point, you had had several different artists. I mean, you had Dave Cockrum, you had Paul Smith. Cockrum. Even had John Romita Jr. by this time, I think. So that you know, there were a bunch of different ones to go with. If it's not Byrne, then I would say it is Paul. It's Paul Smith. His, his... Now, what do you think of this team mix? I don't think it's bad. Uh, you know, you have most of your, you have most of your X Men from you know Giant Size X Men number one, uh, but then you you're eliminating. Uh, Banshee and what's his name Thunderbird, and you're adding in uh, what you call it Dazzler. Uh, I you know I I think and and obviously Kitty Pride, uh, but I think it works for me. I th- I think it's fine. The only thing is you know they're not showing them as any kind of new team. This is a very established team with the exception of uh, Kitty Pride. Right. So you know I I don't know how much history they're going to give you. Uh, you know, later on, check that out. Toad giving giving a whoop into Wolverine, sort of. <laughs> Until now. <laughs> but you know, I, see, I, I I hate when they show Toad as a totally totally ineffective character. So I kind of like that they were showing him at least as being agile and you know that he serves some purpose other than just being a lackey to Magneto. See, I'm looking here just at cover images of my X-Men collection because I was curious about the character models because you'd mentioned Storm being in her in her classic you know outfit as we first saw her and yeah it kind of looks like by 89 she actually was back because I was wondering if she was still doing the stupid mohawk thing but it does look like she was back to, you know, the the flowing hair and all that by by this point in the comics. Yeah, I, I didn't care for the Mohawks. Like, hey, let's make her all edgy now. It, right. It, it didn't do it for me. This was a this was a rough period of X Men in the comics because this is when they were doing the uh, 
they they were doing the inferno thing and then not long after this is when they died and they came back and they didn't show up on like detection devices and and tv monitors and it was really it was a really weird period of the of the x-men although this is when i was reading them though as they came out because the only time i ever collected the x-men off the stand was when Longshot was with them i'd I started buying it when he joined, and I dropped it like a bad habit the minute he quit the team. So I actually did read all this stuff. I can't say that I think that's the way to go, because I don't. Uh, I think you would have been much better off if you had been you know, buying it when Byrne came on board and kind of got hooked through that. Because even, even in the you know the Cock- earlier Cockrum issues, uh, you know, I, that's, that's really... You know, actually, I, I got to be totally honest. I, I got hooked on the X Men when they were in reprints, and a lot of those books were just not very good. But the, I guess, the ones that really, really hooked me were the Neil Adams Roy Thomas run. So that's what made me an X Men right. fan. And then when Giant Size X Men number one came out, you know, I was like totally up for it. So what's happening in the story here? Are they escaping yet? So yeah, so they they, uh, they, they just to talk about the story a little bit, they uh, disrupted this uh, power thing that uh, Magneto had, and somehow Nightcrawler had to become like a human conduit of the energy to keep it going, so that it would keep the comet from hitting Earth, even though. By breaking it, it was supposed to keep it from coming to Earth, and I don't know. And now he's flying through space, and he's about to disintegrate from the heat. So, again, the story just really didn't make sense from that point of view as far as the workings of this thing. And and then Professor X, who can read minds, says he's gone. And yet he's not gone. <laughs> so so what, what, what are you, whose mind are you reading there, Charles? from that whack on the head earlier that must be it can i just say that when he's not in his metal form how ridiculous colossus looks that outfit is just yeah i don't know what they're going for with it he looks just as ridiculous in his human form in that costume as obsidian does in his costume when he's not you know he's not got his superpowers turned on they they both look silly. Yeah. They're cool cool outfits otherwise. You know, when they're all superheroed up, but when they're not, when they're just plain skin, you know, just human skin wearing those outfits, it, it looks like some sort of weird bondage thing or something. It's just really weird looking. You're just talking about oh, you the don't outfits. Have a shirt like that? <laughs> just talking about the outfits. Wolverine's got the brown outfit that he started in X Men one forty I think one forty actually. Oh, and that's the end. Stanley's narrating again about how there's mutants, and you know you gotta be aware of the mutants, and maybe there's a mutant in your life, and mutant, mutant, mutant. And then we get the credits. You know, one thing I did notice in this is, you know, God bless the X Men because you know they're they're there, they're trying to save the Earth and save humanity, and they want to peacefully coexist and everything. But every single actual human in this episode is a complete asshole. Even th- even the uh, family that they save. Yeah. 
Yeah, they save that family from whatever's happening. They're being crushed or something, and uh, and the guy's like, get away from me, you filthy man. I'm like, really? And, you know, I totally get the storytelling mechanism that they're trying to make this, you know, about racism or about homophobia or whatever you want to I don't think at the time they were trying to make it about homophobia. But uh, I don't even know if they were trying to make it about racism back then. But the stories have developed into that. And, and that's all cool with me. Uh but the thing that that really does get lost on me is to the you know average american or average you know civilian how is colossus different from say the thing why is you know how did they even know that one is a mutant and one isn't right yeah that's exactly. one of those things that never quite worked for me with with marvel and the you know with them all living in the same universe as say spider-man and the fantastic four and the avengers and everything it's like nobody seems to show this same whatever you want to call it disdain racism whatever it is you know phobia when it comes to those characters that they do with the x-men and that never really made a lot of sense to me even even when there were mutants on like the avengers i don't remember a whole lot of instances where they faced um, you know, the same, uh, you know, whatever. Just Quicksilver and the Scarlet that, Witch, they did. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there were instances, you know, it's like, it, it's not like it never happened, but it just, it didn't seem to be a prevalent ongoing thing like it was just about every issue of the X-Men, or, or so it seems. And I just thought that was a little bit weird because, as you say, you know, we know the difference. We, we know that Spider-Man gained his powers a certain way and we know the hulk gained his powers a certain way but does joe blow actually living in the marvel universe know that spider-man wasn't born that way or that the hulk you know this wasn't a mutation or whatever and i i've often wondered you know what's the difference and does it really work and i i think that's one of the reasons that again i was never really all that big on comic book x-men because i i think it kind of doesn't really work but i don't know that's that's just my opinion and i've often wondered if that's a big reason why they tried to separate them at one point when they did the whole um what was that called the the heroes 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 reborn, well, heroes reborn was afterwards and there was uh the well, it was the onslaught uh Onslaught, yeah, that, yeah, where they did because didn't they for basically some reason, shunt... yeah, mutants didn't work to get rid of them. They had to be non-mutants, yeah, which I, I didn't really understand. But hey, you know, whatever. The whole thing, the whole concept was a little silly on that one too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly why. They, I think they, I think honestly, I think the reason they did it is because the X Men at that time was their biggest seller, uh, and they right. they wanted to keep that line separate so that they could uh, you know keep raking in the money on that but meanwhile all the traditional uh heroes the avengers the fantastic four iron man uh you know, captain america thor they were all the sales were lagging so they decided to try and give it a shot in the arm by uh by doing the heroes reborn thing and uh that didn't work well, you know something that often would occur to me as a kid is you know whenever they would say the Avengers would team up with the X-Men or run into the Fantastic Four, or even when there were members 
on the Avengers that were mutants or had been X-Men or sometimes were still X-Men, why wouldn't you go to like Cap? You know, especially when Cap was, you know, the, the, whatever they call it, the team leader, chairman or whatever, and be like, um, yeah, think maybe you could speak up for us now and again. And, you know, cause people listen to Cap. I mean, he was a, he's an icon. Yeah. You know, if I would think if Captain America went on television or, or held a press conference and said, okay, here's the deal with mutants, you know, that, that people would listen to him and maybe it would calm things down. And I don't remember that ever happening. Nope. And it just because... seems odd. It, it makes Cap seem like kind of an asshole, you know, that well, he wouldn't speak up for his teammates. It's because Cap knew you couldn't trust mutants. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you know what I, I really just disliked to be honest with you and just as long as we're venting a little uh, is when they decided to do the uncanny Avengers and they, they were kind of like crossing over you know X-Men or mutant characters onto the Avengers it was, the thing I haven't liked in the more recent years uh, and by more recent years I guess I'm probably talking about say the last 10 to 15 years uh, is that being an Avenger is diluted now it's like everybody's been an Avenger. And and if everybody's been an Avenger, then it's not a special. So that that, that really bothered right. me. I didn't like that they did that. But I am digressing from the uh, pride of the X-Men <laughs> pretty far now. <laughs> uh, so I guess, you know, we should, uh, we should rate this cartoon. And uh, I'm going to say, because we're going we, we're gonna to just give it one grade. I'm not going to break it down. But I think... This cartoon is largely held up by the quality of the animation uh, because the voice acting, as we said, is, is is inconsistent. There's a couple of good ones and there's some that are just, you know, not so good and, and not so good on actors that I even like, you know, when you talk about uh, Alan Oppenheimer. Uh, it, but, you know, so the voice acting isn't isn't the greatest. The story is okay, but the premise of the story doesn't really make total sense uh so while while the animation to me is certainly top shelf for the time that it came out uh i'm gonna say i was disappointed that they didn't pick it up so i'm gonna give it a little credit for that and i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a b i i, I think it could it has there's definitely room for improvement the voice acting could have been better the uh the story could have just had a little bit more cohesion to it but I still enjoyed it, and I even enjoyed rewatching it. So I'm going to say a B. I'm right there with you. I, I really like the artwork. Not the, I keep saying artwork. The animation. And, you know, I always look at these things in the time they were made. So that gives it a big boost. The story was all right, I did. The, the voice acting was all right. I came in with a, a B plus overall. Well, I guess I'm going to be the harshest critic on this. Um, again, I'm I'm not much of a fan of the X Men, especially comic book X Men. So I think that plays into it a lot. Um, my my two biggest takeaways from this, in a positive light, are the animation is really top notch. I mean, it looks really good, especially for its time. Um, I, I think it looked great then. I think it still looks really good now. It could use a little bit of maybe speeding up in certain instances and a little bit of smoothing out. 
Um, but that's kind of indicative of animation of that period that was trying to step up its game a little bit. A lot of it often looks kind of choppy or what. I think it's also the, um, that it's but, taken from a VHS tape that's that's causing a little yeah, bit of that effect. Yeah, that could be a lot of it too. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a huge positive is how how good it looks because it does look really good. The character models are really good. Uh, the animation style is really good. You know, the different lighting effects and shading and all that. It looks really good. So that that's a huge positive with it. And also, for whatever bizarre reason, for this being a pilot that didn't get picked, you know, the series didn't get picked up is kind of an odd historical note. But this is the basis of the four-player arcade game that we eventually got, which was actually a really cool game that I liked a lot. So I, I think that's kind of an odd side effect of this. Um, but those are really the, the biggest positive I've got. Um, the negatives, unfortunately, there's a lot of them. Um, the biggest one being, despite the top-notch voice talent that they, they got for this, it's so badly acted. It's everybody's ridiculously over the top to a point where it's really campy. And I spent more time watching my watch for it to just end than I did actually watching the show, which was a shame because, like I say, you know, the, the animation looks good. I enjoyed this more while we were talking about it with the sound turned off than I did actually watching it, you know, to watch it. Um, just because the voice acting was so bad and the music's really horrible too. So I think if somebody were to take this and do like an honest, you know, like an earnest redoing of it, you know, just completely redo the audio with, with sincere voice acting and, and put a decent, you know, score underneath it, it actually would greatly elevate it. And the story, I mean, the story wasn't the most intelligent thing in the world, but I mean, it was a kid's cartoon show. You weren't really supposed to think about it a whole lot. It was meant to, you know, get you interested in, you know, these characters and, and be exciting. And that I think it does very well. Is it very intelligent and in what exactly is going on in the whole plot? No, not really. But then, you know, how, how intelligent were a lot of comics of this era either. So, you know, it's, it works as like, an installment of the X-Men, which is kind of cool because it's not an origin story. It, it didn't do that trope, which was, is kind of refreshing, actually. It just kind of throws you into the action. That's kind of neat. So it has its positives and its negatives, but the, the, vo the terrible voice acting to me was a huge negative on this. So I, I can't grade it too awfully high. Um, I'm really tempted to say like a D plus, and that sounds like I'm just, you know, like I just hated it, which I didn't. I really liked the animation, but uh, I'd, I'd be loath to have to sit through this thing again, you know, with the actual sound on because it was really bad. Um, you can hate you know, it so if you want. You can, you can be wrong. <laughs> it's I, fine. I did not, I didn't, I didn't hate it. You know, I really, like I said, I really liked the animation style. I liked that they threw Dazzler in there. I mean, it's kind of weird. Um, but it was also kind of cool because I, I like that character and I really liked that model of her, you know, during that era. I, I don't remember the blue suit lasting very long. I could be wrong about that, but I, you know, seeing that pop up on the screen was kind of like, okay, this is familiar to me. Cause I, you know, that was the, the one era of the X-Men 
I actually was invested. I was actually reading it and, and buying it off the stands at that time and, and was really into it because Longshot was on the team. And I just really liked that character. And eventually they developed the whole thing and all of that. So seeing her was, to me, was kind of cool. She was the, the one character I kind of latched onto this. She didn't do a whole lot, but she was there. So, you know, that was interesting. I thought it just, it changed the dynamic just a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, and the, you know, some of the different effects that they had um, were interesting. You know, like, I, I thought, <clears throat> like, Cyclops's optic blast was really well done and some of the different, like, explosion, you know, the lighting effects that they did. I don't know what that that process is called. I don't know if it's rotoscoping or what it is, but it, it looks really cool when they do it just right. And so I thought some of that was really neat. But yeah, it was really the, the big thing for me was just the sound. Um, just it, it brought the whole production way down, unfortunately, just the terrible voice acting. And it, it's like everybody just needed to, to dial it way back and just do it, do it straight. And they weren't doing it straight. They were doing it as a as a big ridiculous cartoon, and that that's kind of a shame because it could have been so much better. Yeah, I I, I like obviously liked it more than you, but I, I, <laughs> I can't tell you you're wrong about your points. They just didn't bother me as much as they bothered you. <laughs> uh, anyway, that'll be it for our commentary on this. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have more commentaries coming up in the coming months, but uh, we'll see what we do next time. In the meanwhile, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you guys for doing this with me, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. I always wait for that Scott, bye, but then sometimes I don't care. Bye. <laughs> uh, bye. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> I miss you. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The evolution of the X-Men from what was a second-tier title to probably Marvel's best-known property after Spider-Man at this point. Um, now, you created the X-Men, and then later on, people like Claremont and Chris Claremont mm -hmm. defined them and kind of turned them into like what people know today. Len Wein came up with Wolverine, Wolverine and stuff like Len that. Len Wein did that, yeah. That, to me, I would imagine was kind of a, a, pri a pri point of pride watching somebody take something that you did and spinning it and, and creating something a little more popular even.
I love the X-Men, mm -hmm. and I love the way Kirby did them. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea, I don't know if you remember the first issue in the Danger Room, mm -hmm. that was Jack's idea. Mm -hmm. And what a great way of beginning a series right. to show them in the Danger Room. We didn't mean for it to be a second-tier book at all. Right. And it did well, the first few issues. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I don't know if I told you the story about the name The X-Men. Mm -hmm. I wanted to call it The Mutants. Mm -hmm. Went to my publisher. He said, you cannot call it The Mutants. Nobody knows what a mutant is. Mm -hmm. Okay, he was the boss. Mm -hmm. So I realized they had extra power. Mm -hmm. I was going to call their leader, Professor Xavier mm -hmm. X. So I'll call him the X-Men. Right. So I said that to the publisher. He said, that's fine. And I thought to myself, I'll never understand top-level thinking. If nobody is going to know what a mutant is, right. how will anybody know what an X-Man is? Right. But I had a title, and I wasn't going to um, muddy the waters. At that point. Right. Yeah. I loved the series. Uh -huh. But after Jack and I did the first few, I don't remember how many, four, five, ten, I don't know. Uh -huh. We both got busy with other things. Right. And... I had to drop something, right. and the reason I dropped the X-Men, and Jack went off it, not because we thought it was less of a strip, right. but there were so many characters, it took a little longer to write. Right, right, so right. I just gave it up because it was the toughest one to do right. of all of them. And then other people took it over. In the beginning, it, the sales dropped when we left the book. Right. But then, as you said, when Chris Claremont and John Byrne and all the people who were, mm -hmm. took it on later took it over, because... Basically, it was a solid strip. Right. Sales started to really rise. So you're you are the um, the father of, of mutants in the Marvel universe. I mean, but yeah, and that was done out of laziness. Again, as I mentioned, when you do superheroes, you have to say how they get their power. Right. Well, I was bored with cosmic rays and gamma rays and radioactivity, and I, I was running out of things, and I figured. What if they're just mutants? Right. I don't have to explain anything. We know there are mutants in the right. world. There are mutant vegetables, mutant trees, frogs. Okay, they're born mutants. That gets me off the hook. I can then do whatever I want. So it was done, really. It was a cop-out. It's so fun. And it gives birth to years of continuity yeah. and legend and, and mythos. And but look how easy it is. It comes from a guy is. who's just like... I don't, know. I don't know. The guy who got red coming out of his eyes. Who knows? That's right. But look how easy it is. You want somebody who can walk through walls? Mm -hmm. He was born that way. He's a mutant. Nice. <laughs>